As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Hello, Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors listeners. To round out the year, we wanted to summarize some of the best moments from this past year of podcasting. We had some insightful conversations and many great guests on our show in 2023, and we hope to make 2024 even better for you all. Enjoy this holiday season and see you all soon. If you're an advisor listening to this and you have not reduced the size of your client base, you have not figured out how to take on the CEO role, okay, but you want to, and you're listening to podcasts and you're reading books and you're seeking help and you're thinking about it. And then you come in every day and you do what you've always done. Okay. I want to be the voice of reason and your truth teller a little bit. 97% of you made up statistic that are in that category. You're not going to change unless you get help. That's just, you, you need to be around, whether it be a coach like John, another coach who has the skill set, or a group of five other advisors that have already done it. If you don't have that support system, you're likely not going to ever change. And how do I know that? Because I've had lots of advisors who we've coached, lots of advisors who've joined my organization, lots mm -hmm. of advisors who have acquired their book of business that have called me for advice, right? And the reality of it is, is they are not capable. And the first role, I believe, or one of the biggest attributes of a great leader is being self-aware. So sometimes you need to look in the mirror and just go, hey, I built a $3.8 million business and I'm really good and I'm better than the average bear. And you are, right? Um, but I'm not going to go to 10 million or 20 or 30 unless I completely change my identity. And in order to completely change my identity, I likely need a completely different structure, right? Different people around me, different thought process, just people who don't think the way I thought because it's so ingrained in your habits that unless you've got a forceful source of helping you rewire your mindset as to what you're building, you'll go back to your old habits. And I see it over and over and over again. And I just wanted to hit that and you know, love to hear any of your comments, John. And then I think once we can mentally help our listeners get get to that and go, okay, maybe I need some help to change. I think we can start to talk about some of the things you need to implement once you make that change with that time that you now have by giving up some of the 80% of the stuff that you do today. 
Yeah, it's um, I, I I've I said it before. It's this uh, title of a Marshall Goldsmith book who I love. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, it, it's it's very much that. If you're watching on YouTube, I love when you just shove a book in the in the camera. I got like twenty just hanging right here, it's, ready to roll. It's, it's as if you have them on cue. It's amazing. <laughs> so uh, it's um, it, it's difficult to even perceive what that different role is because you haven't lived it, and, and you're so right. You've got to be around other people who have made this transition, who have done it. You've got to learn from them. Or, you know, get get some kind of coaching out for people that have, you know, either done it. What I like about the coaches on our team, they all have done it, right? They're people I've coached, they make these leaps and they like either giving back and helping part-time or they've sold their business and, and they they like doing this. But that's the people you need to learn from is people that have that have already done this stuff and, and learn it because they're gonna show you the path the, the most effectively. They're gonna say, Oh, I was just like you and stuck, and this is the changes that I made up here in my head. And this is what I did differently that helped me finally break through and, and take off because it's just, it really is. Um, it's, it's different things at this stage. It's a completely different role that we've ever learned that got us to this point. And, and I think that's why it's so hard to really break through the, the sound barrier. It's just completely different stuff. So it's a lot of, you know, psychology things, but it just goes back to, to change. It, it's really behavioral change is so critical and you just need people around you to help with that knowledge and coaching to help you get there. And, um, you know, I'm thinking back to um, what Cutting uh, you talk about, Ray Kelly talks about is just adult learning, 10% some knowledge, 20% from coaching, 70% from doing, right? And you've got to get in there and do some things. But you know what? I find it accelerates learning if you're around other people that have already done it, right? You don't have to fall on your face 20 times. You could do it once and someone else says, oh, do it this way. And then you got it much faster. It, it sure. shortcuts you so quickly. And, and going back to um, uh, what the example you talked about, you know, growing very quickly to 10 million at Cut and Wealth, um, it, it's just, it's like I talked about the foundation. Cracks just get exposed. That, oh, I thought the client experience was good, but now I'm seeing it's not as good and people leave. And the growth that I thought was could happen is not happening. So those little cracks do get exposed, but um it's it's uh, it's just a hard shift for other people to do it, and, yeah. and you get out of, out of the way. One thing I, I will say that that you, you mentioned quickly that I think a lot of people don't do out there. You said you know documenting what's done and really showcasing what's done. That's probably the biggest gap that I see for for a lot of you listening. A lot of your business or or your ways are probably stuck in your head, and you may have shared it with someone on your team like once or twice, but. Um, just looking back at um, the, the traction book by, by Gina Wickman, also another one looking at, I know we, we talk about that a lot. We're going to talk about EOS, uh, I'm sure here, but um, they talk about when it comes to the vision, on average, you have to share it seven times for people to start to get set. And so that's the average number, meaning it might take 20 times for you to say something for it set into other people. So a lot of times an owner might say, oh, we do it this way around here. 
and they say it once. Maybe they talk about it twice, but it's just, it's not enough. It's got to be documented. It's got to be talked about a lot to be completely ingrained in the team. And so to really document what you do and even leverage, you know, veterans on your team that have been around to help document what you do, what is the way, so in cut wealth, what is the cut and wealth way? You know, what is your firm's way that you do things around there? The, the more you have the information organized, the easier it will be for other people to grasp. So that's part of this too, is, is it's about you shifting and letting go and other people doing, but they're not going to be able to do unless what they need to do is so simple and crystal clear. And I would try and dummy it down to the simplest steps possible, make it very easy for someone to just pick up and execute and do, take the complexity away. That is such a gap in so many practices, but the one, if you can do that, if you can document along the way, you can take some like pit stops and pause and do that. Ah, oh, it, it makes the biggest difference. And it really helps get over that hurdle of, of 5 million. And it does get easier actually, when you get to this space, when you do cross over five, you do cross over 10, it, it is easier to grow. It's just, it's getting to this point, I think is so difficult. And then getting out of this point, crossing over, you know, 10 million to eight figures in, in revenue. That, that's a big business. It's really tough, but documenting, making those changes, it's, it's those simple things make the biggest difference. Maybe you can walk us through a little bit as you think about how to structure these conversations so that you know, your clients or prospects are open and feel safe in your communication. Maybe you can kind of walk us through the different levels of those conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I want to preface it with is when I work with people who work with numbers a lot, and I say there's three levels, they automatically think one is better than two, which is better than three, which is better. And that's not true. What I want to preface it with is we need all three levels. And in any one conversation, we toggle back and forth between them. But the important thing is for, to be aware and to learn what level you're leading from, because the level of conversation that you're leading has a predictable result on the brain opening up for trust or closing down in distrust. So level one is simply an informational conversation. I call it your Q&A. You ask a few questions, you get a couple answers, and automatically you jump into saying, well, this is a problem that I hear, so here's what you need to do, A, B, C, D, E. Got it? Okay, great. Do you have any questions? No. Okay. Now, we need level one because at points and times in conversations, we do need to provide direction. We do need to tell people what to do, but it's how we do that that makes a significant impact. You know, there's lots of things, Joe, as you know, uh, John and Joe, that um, it, it is what it is. Taxes, laws, rules, it is what it is. But how we respond to that is a whole different thing. So when you tell your clients, well, this you have to do this. This is what you need to do. But what if we just said, and how can you do that? And how can I help you really softens it? Because when you just tell people what to do and you give them information, they close down. They may follow the directions. They may not. There is no trust. It's really an information exchange of data. Sure. Makes, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think about it with my own children. 
right? <laughs> they, they don't want to be told what to do, uh, right? They, they uh, you know, they don't take kindly to that usually. So uh, I think that makes a ton, ton of sense as you think through kind of what a level one conversation. And I just want to want to clarify, you know, so you talked about kind of toggling right through the three different yes. levels of conversation. Yes, so what I'm hearing you say is you have to have the skill set and the understanding of how to have all three levels and you kind of, you know, different tools maybe for different uh, conversations. Is that a good way of thinking about it? Correct. We, we don't want to, so people will say, well, if I'm going to have a good conversation, I must stay at this level because that's the best. No, it, one is not better than the other. They're different and they get different results. Got it. So informational conversation will give you the ability to clarify and provide direction, but be aware if that's primarily how you're communicating with your clients, there's no trust because you're telling them what to do. And you're absolutely right, John, whether it's your kids or whether it's you and I, I don't like to be told what to do. As the financial services industry continues to grow and as individuals within the industry and their, their firms grow, uh, there's tremendous opportunity and obligation, okay, opportunity in terms of grow your business, but obligation, quite frankly, to our clients. And I saw a survey done a few years ago, Moss Adams Investment News talked to the top 300 independent RIAs and asked them what the expected growth rate was in the industry because of this opportunity boomers, you know, retiring at a record rate, actually peaking in 2023 this year, um, but continuing for the rest of this decade. But also just the number of financial advisors, licensed financial advisors, slowly but surely going down because a lot of those retiring advisors are uh, retiring boomers are advisors. Okay, so there's this is decline. But with those two things in mind, those 300 independent RAs, when surveyed, expected rate of growth for a financial advisor is around 14% per advisor per year on the revenue line. So you do the rule 72. Expected growth rate, if your average, is about doubling every five years. So if you're doing a million, you'll be doing two million in five, and you'll do four million in ten. I know at Cotton Wealth Management, you guys are actually experiencing a much faster rate. Okay, and it, part of the variable is this thing. One of the questions I ask all of my clients are these two questions. Number one, do you think four million is more work than one million? And the answer is yes. Okay, John, you guys are going to hit seventy-five million plus this year. When I started working with you, you're about ten. You used to have 25 people working for you. Now you have 170 or something like that. It's more work. I hate to tell people it's more work to double your business okay, every five years. There is. The second question I ask everyone is, are you personally interested in working more hours? I have not had one hand go up yet. Okay. Thank so you. the key variable, and I use the word jingle block, key jingle block for all of this is leadership. Okay. Unless you want to kill yourself, you're going to have to figure out how to get it done through others. Now, most people, when they get to a million in production and above, it's because they're really, really good at being a financial advisor. They're a professional at doing that job, that role. They may have a couple of assistants, a couple of people working for them, but they're really good at working with their clients, achieving their financial goals and dreams. To get to 4 million, to 10 million, 20, 30, 40 million, you need leaders. And that's a completely different profession. You know, this, this concept of this multidisciplinary business of one-stop shopping, but how to be able to help 
a CPA firm think differently, more about being the most relevant advisor to the client and engaging more in value-based billing and all the things that, you know, that we look to do with our partners. I don't know if all of our listeners fully have that, you know, experience to be able to articulate that to the client. So maybe we, maybe we hit that on another episode. Maybe. Yeah, I think that would be great. And, you know, even the AICPA, I was looking at some things the other day, they are starting to realize, right. And they know that tax returns are become a commodity, you know, and it's not really how an accountant is going to get to the next level. Um, You know, value-based billing, right-sizing your client base, making sure that you can offer auxiliary, you know, services to the clients if appropriate. That's the way that I think accountants and CPAs are going to grow over the next 10 years. It's not going to be doing a tax return um, for cheaper, right. Or for $50 more, because you're never going to, be able to compete with the H&R Blocks and the Jackson Hewitts of the world um, or the other big tax shops, right? It's just never going to happen. So where does that leave that CPA who has three, four or 500 clients? They're in a tough spot. So I really think they need to be open to reinventing themselves. And I think some of the things that we do kind of in the financial planning and wealth management world, um, those processes and those systems and those structures are invaluable to CPAs. Not all of them listen, right? As we know, some of them are a little bit stuck in their ways, but I think you can attest to this. The ones that do, I mean, they've been able to really transform their business. And I could tell you, they're making a lot more money than they were, and they have a lot more free time. So I think that's kind of the magic bullet in this whole thing as well. Completely agree. I think uh, what you said about CPAs not looking for more business, I completely agree. Um, They're looking for the right business. If you have a business owner client that's got, you know, lots of, lots of work, different story. Right. What they're not looking for is, you know, a 300 or 400 or $500 tax return. Um, most of these accountants are drowning in work. And I mean, I've heard of CPAs literally walking away from their business, not even selling it um, because they just can't get the work done. So I, I completely agree uh, wholeheartedly. And we're seeing it firsthand. But I want to leave one thing. What prevents 10 times growth And because that's an important is what creates 10 times, that's pretty straightforward from your history. But the thing that I find interesting is what happens when people stop? Why do they stop? And it's never because of what's happening in the business. It's what's happening in their personal life. Mm. Okay. And the people who are close to them in their personal life don't want them to grow anymore. Oh, yeah. Yep. Totally get it. Yeah, and they're being given the message. You're making everybody uncomfortable with your growth. Yeah, totally get it. And I could just share to our listeners, um, I've seen it in my own life where I've outgrown some friends, I've outgrown some family, right? Where if you continue to develop in you know, as an entrepreneur, as a person, your emotional competency, all of the things that you have to do to become a successful entrepreneur, Ultimately, people around you sometimes, if they're not the right people, are the ones that are actually telling you, what are you doing? You're working too hard and this is crazy and what you've accomplished enough already and what are you trying to do? And uh, so I, I I can totally relate to that. And, and I think, Dan, I'm a, just a huge believer in mindset, right? And I think what you do unbelievably well um, is make it okay um, I think these are your words, right? Entrepreneurs make make things up and then make them real, right? I think, right? Um, sometimes your words become confused with my and words. And then you need an organization. So yeah, you, you make it repeat. Yeah. <laughs> People who aren't entrepreneurs don't understand entrepreneurs. 
Okay, because in their mind, the only thing that drives entrepreneurs is what they can see about the entrepreneurs. And it usually comes down to money. They're just money crazy. But I find that once entrepreneurs hit a certain level of growth, they don't even talk about money anymore. The the growth are other issues. And my my contention is that entrepreneurs uh, are become entrepreneurs in the first place, and they're motivated to grow as entrepreneurs because of freedom. And there's four freedoms: freedom of money, uh, freedom of time. Freedom of time is number one. You got to get uh, more freedom of time. Number two is freedom of money, and that's got two aspects to it. It's quantity of money, obviously, that's one. And the other one is quality of money. Am I, I, am I making money in a way that really pleases me? Because sure. I know people who work for big checks, but they hate the way that they make the money. They hate the business they're in. They hate who they have to deal with. And that leads you to the third freedom, and that is freedom of relationship that Everybody you're working with backstage, you really like working with them, and everybody in the front stage, uh, you know, customers, clients, uh, vendors, uh, you know, strategic alliances. You, you're using accountants, which I think is a wonderful, you know, is a wonderful route for growing a financial, um, you know, wealth management company because the entre- uh, the accountants really know where the money is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and uh, the, the, the fourth one then is uh, freedom of purpose, that what you're doing in your entrepreneurial life actually serves the bigger purpose of your human life, okay? And if you improve one of those freedoms, um, um, and the, uh, uh, then you have more um, resources for improving uh, free, uh, freedom, freedom of, money but freedom of time has to come first uh, and i would say even now where you are john that uh probably um 20 of what you're doing on a let's say a quarterly basis is actually contributing to the next 10 times growth of your company and 80 percent is you're just maintaining what you have the, yeah. i would look at you as the growth factor in your company it's how we free up John. If we free up John, the rest of the company will get freed up. I would like to write a book. Um, I really don't know where to start. And how do, how do you or your organization actually help me as an advisor or a CPA or whoever it may be actually execute in six weeks or so of actually being able to put together a short book that's high level and something I would be proud of? Yeah, 100%. And the, and the key thing is something that you're proud of. Because I, I think there's two extremes. There's the extreme that makes you think that you have to write a two, three, 400, 500 page war and peace volume of everything that you know. And that's just too daunting one for you to do. And of course, if you do write that, no one's going to really read it except your mom and your dad potentially. And then there's the other extreme where it's like, okay, I need a book. I'm just going to go to Fiverr or, or Upwork or somewhere and just tell them, okay, go write me a book. And okay, now I'm an author. And invariably, when you get it back, it's it's not very good. And it's like, I, I can't put that on the, I can't put that into the world. So I think a lot of advisors are stuck with those two extremes. The short book formula is built around a few principles, and I'll I'll share some of those. But you can imagine the first one is to keep it short. And for us, that is roughly 10 to 12,000 words 
when, when you format it as we do in a physical book, it comes out to roughly 100 pages. It's designed for someone to read intentionally within one hour or less. Um, couple historical examples, books that you may have heard of, Sun Tzu, The Art of War, under 100 pages, Machiavelli, The Prince, under 100 pages. Mm. And interestingly enough, the history of, of why Machiavelli wrote The Prince was that he lost his position in the, the floor, I think it was, it was the Florentine government. And he wrote it as a sales letter in disguise to the new Medici family to get his job back. And so that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing. The short books are sales letters in disguise, but there's some great historical precedent. A side benefit of keeping it short, and if it's impactful, is that have you ever heard of the book Go for No? It's a, it's a great sales. It's a great I have sales. actually, yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, you know, it, it's one that probably a lot of us have heard of. And interestingly, I've read it probably three or four times throughout the years because it's a great mindset book. I know I can read it in an hour or less. Mm -hmm. And it's a great reminder of the mindset that I should have when I'm doing my business. So by keeping it short and impactful, you get the person to read it and potentially read it more and more because you can really influence people over time. The other benefit I would say of our formula is that in terms of publishing, we help advisors write the book and then we help them publish it to Amazon. Okay. And in doing so, Amazon is, I mean, we all know Amazon's revolutionary, but it's revolutionary in this sense is that when you do that, you can upload it there. And if you have someone that you're meeting with, you can literally send the book to them hmm. for roughly $3.50, print on demand, shipping included through Prime. And I, I, think, I think we did this. And so once, once yeah. we scheduled the podcast, I immediately oh, yeah. wanted to get a copy of my book in your hand. So I, I invested a whopping $3.50 to make that happen. I'm looking for it. I have it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, and, and, but I don't remember which drawer I put it in. So yeah, when no, I find no. it, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. The average human has, I'm not going to butcher another statistic on this podcast, but tens of thousands could even be hundreds of thousands of thoughts per day. I forget how many, but let's just say it's a ton of thoughts and something like, again, made up statistic, but directionally right. 95% of the thoughts every day are the same, right? 
So just, right? So just, just think about that for a minute. That is what makes up your mindset. The thing, you think the same things over and over. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too fat. I'm not smart enough. I don't come from that level of wealth. I'm not a leader, right? I'm better than that person. I'm not as good as that person. I'm not worthy. I come from a family of dysfunction. Um, you know, there's so many different different thoughts that go through your mind and they're subconscious. You can't keep track of tens of thousands of thoughts and know what you're actually thinking, right? And ultimately, the way it was described to me is one of the most difficult things to ever um, change is actually your mindset because that's ultimately ingrained and habitual because you've been conditioned to think that way over and over and over again. So if you think about it this way, your brain is different than your mind, okay? Most of us think it's the same. We think our brain and our mind are the same thing. The, the brain is pre-wired from ancestral times to really do one thing, keep you alive. Make sure your organs are running, Make sure that you understand if there's something that can, you know, create damage or harm or death, right, that you need to protect yourself. So when you start to think about what is comfortable, is it more comfortable to do habitual things or is it more comfortable to do different things, right? And that's why we say a lot in our business show, which is another saying we could talk about comfort or discomfort. And we say, right, you know, if you had to choose between two, which would you choose? And everybody always chooses which one, Joe, is it comfort or discomfort? Comfort, right? I mean, right. why wouldn't you want to be comfortable? Of course. Yeah. And then we ask the question, okay, well, I get it. I'd rather be comfortable too. Would you rather choose growth or being uncomfortable? What would well, you choose? I obviously want to choose growth, but as you know, John, growth comes with discomfort, right? So you can't have one without the other. So. Yep. And, and, and exactly right. You can't have one without, without the other. And most, most folks will choose discomfort in order to get growth verbally, right? But then don't have the skill set to change habits right. because they're pre-wired to keep choosing being comfortable. Now, why? Because your body, your brain is pre-wired to not change things. Keep it in homeostasis. Don't get overly stressed. Don't get uncomfortable because that's, you know, that's what where our brain is wired to do. So if you think about it this way, right, the brain is an instrument. The mindset is the tool that you use to play the instrument, right? So if you think about, um, you know, a guitar and a pick, just as an example, right, the guitar is capable of amazing things. You could make that thing just like your brain make unbelievable music, right? I mean, we, we've heard unbelievable musicians, right? Do unbelievable things with a guitar or a drum set or a violin or you name it, right? But to stick with uh, the guitar piece, the, you know, the actual musician who has the pick in his or her hand um, is actually in control of what that guitar does. Now, I've never learned how to play the guitar. So if you gave me a pick and a guitar, I couldn't make beautiful music with it, okay? 
Now, most people have not learned how to control their mindset because they're playing the same story. Like, what's your story over and over and over again? So therefore, they don't understand the skill set of how to actually control their brain and make it work for them to create new habits. And we get stuck in this. This is where we start to say we're unlucky. And then successful people say, well, you make your own luck, right? Um, and when you when you actually just put it all together, Joe, um, you know, and again, I'm I'm studying this stuff ongoing. I, I find it fascinating, right? That man, the more self-aware I am, and the more I think about my thinking and I think about my mindset and can control it and learn systems to control the mindset, um, the more I can accomplish. When, and again, it's not just business, Joe, it's it's relational, it's health and fitness goals, right? It's time off, it's decisions with investments and money, right? It's it's everything. It's literally, right? Are you a learner or are you a knower, right? It's it's how do you approach the world? So I went again, as usual, a little deeper there than I probably meant to. And I know we're just about out of time here, Joe, but what's your story, right? To me um, is a combination of something you should ask yourself over and over again, right? Which is, what am I telling myself? And that's where the freeze game comes in, okay? You get, you know, you're in a room, Joe. I love examples like this, okay? And, uh, you know, the, uh, the instructor of the class or of the business meeting or of your classroom or your team or whatever it may be, right, is about to call on somebody. Two different people in the room hope I'm called on, please don't call on me. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't want to be embarrassed. What's, what's the number one human fear we've learned from Ray Kelly is, do you know what it is, Joe? Public speaking, I think actually, right? Yeah. Feel, feel public speaking, the fear of looking foolish, right. particularly among your peers, right? Nobody wants to look foolish, but there's somebody in that room whose mindset is saying, call on me, I know the answer, call on me, I know the answer, call on me, call on me. And there's somebody in that room who's going, please do not call on me, I do not want to speak in front of this group, I do not know the answer, or I think I know the answer, but I'm not 100% sure, right? Yep. Um, and what they're really thinking about is, I, I, they're thinking ahead, go back to how the brain's wired and going, I don't want to look foolish. That's scary. My body starts to sweat. I, maybe my leg starts to shake. I look down instead of making eye contact all because we don't want to look foolish. Now, if you play the freeze game and you say, man, what's the worst thing that happens if John Cutton asks me a question in a, a conference room and I just say the words, great question, Joe, but I mean, John, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure of the answer. What really happens? Absolutely right? nothing. <laughs> nothing. Right. And maybe everybody respects you a little bit more and goes, man, that wasn't so bad. Maybe you become a leader in that room, right? Maybe people like I can, I can say that, right? But if you think about people that you know and you put yourself in that situation, um, what I would say, you know, again, made up statistic, I bet you 90% of the people are going, please don't call on me, please don't call on me, please don't call on me. Um, and I would bet the 10% who might be going, please call on me, please call on me, raising the hand, me, 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 me. Um, may very well just have a different mindset 
around that learning experience and around how people in the room view them, right? Yeah. So, you know, Joe, I thought that was a really interesting dialogue. I know you want to do a couple more of these, uh, which I'm excited to do. And uh, I think you had a great idea here. So anything you want to add before we kind of wrap up? Yeah, I'll just say, I think, you know, addressing limiting beliefs, I think is really powerful, you know, as you know, right, when you have a limiting belief, that's where it ends, right, I can't do this, right, and then your mind moves on to something else. But, you know, I think once you challenge the opposite of that, I can do this, that question then becomes, how do I do this, right, and then you actually start to plan in your mind how you can actually hit that goal, whether it be 10 pounds, if you say, well, I can't lose 10 pounds, that's where it ends, right, and you're always not going to be in shape. But if you say, I can lose 10 pounds, then it kind of challenges your brain to say, how can I lose those 10 pounds, right? Maybe I should stop eating ice cream every other night, right? And then you almost kind of put that into, into practice and reality. And next thing you know, you may actually hit your goal. So I love that. I think that was great. Yeah, no, super well said. So uh, reminds me of two things and then we really will wrap. So the first thing <laughs> it reminds me of is when I was a little kid, um, I, I was, you know, I was played basketball. I was a decent basketball player, actually, believe it or not. Um, but I went to uh, a basketball camp and I believe it was Roly Massimino, which I could be wrong, but I think that's who it was. Um, and he was the Villanova basketball coach. And it was called the Yes, I Can Basketball Camp. That was literally the name of the basketball camp. It was Yes, I Can. Um, and I remember, again, I could have whose camp it was wrong. So I apologize if I do. But I can remember every single morning, every single huddle, every single you know time you wrap the day, the chant was, yes, I can. And I would go to that camp for two weeks of summer. And I can't help but believe that that and there were speeches about, yes, I can. And, and you know, this is... Now I'm 50, Joe. So this was, I was, I think I was 12 ish, right? So uh, 38 years ago, right? There were, there were winners, coaches, right? That understood that mindset is everything. It might've been before the brain was studied and all the, right, uh, the scientific uh, revelations, et cetera. And then the last thing I wanted to just comment on was you mentioned, right, the weight loss piece of things, right? And saying it's, you know, so as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, how many times have you heard people say, yeah, I just have a slow metabolism or, you know what, I'm big boned or, you know, my parents are all heavy set. It's just in the genes, et cetera. That becomes mindset. I mean, literally, and I have some of those qualities, like, you know what, I've str struggled getting my weight perfect all, you know, for these years, I'm always on a diet and trying the next thing. It's mindset. That's and, and, you know, when I change my mindset, and I'm at a little period of my life right now, where I just lost almost 40 pounds. Um, it's, it's, I can, I can, I can fix it. Does that make sense? Exactly. But what happens is the brain is hardwired to go back to those thoughts. And I'm becoming self-aware on this, that when then something in my life changes, a stress occurs or different set of circumstances, something super good, super bad, whatever it may be, you begin to change your mindset, right? And you go, you know what? Hey, I'm going on vacation. I'm entitled to you know, have a couple of drinks and eat, you know, pizza and bread and mashed potatoes and all the things that we love because I deserve a treat and I'm on vacation. Now, what's interesting is somebody 
whose mindset is not, I'm on a diet, I struggle with my weight, this has been a lifelong problem, and I get a treat to go on vacation. There are people who go, I can't wait to go on vacation so I can eat clean, have more time to exercise, uh, and get some sunlight. I equate my mindset as vacation with steak dinners and great bread and pasta, so on, et cetera. A, a guy or a gal walking around with a six pack of abs probably has a different mindset, right? As it relates to vacation. So, you know, just as you said that, when you start to really think about this, it's go back to what's your story, tie it back in and put a bow on it. It's what do you tell yourself? As you know, we do not have any advertisements here on our podcast. Often I get asked, well, how can I give back, John? How can I help? I've got two simple asks for you. First, share the podcast with a friend, someone that you think can benefit from the information. And secondly, if you haven't already, please join the Financial Advisor Success Syndicate, something I am super proud of and would love your participation and to have you join and add value to a community with like-minded advisors. So to join, go to joinfass.com. Look forward to seeing you in there. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttenconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.